0: Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arne joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet.
1: America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Good morning to you from the north. Morning, Glory. Bonjour. Hi. That music means it's the last radio hour of the week. It's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. Every week at this time, we go high. I don't care what the rest of the country is talking about, uh, the raid on President Trump's house that might be talking about anything. We talk about things that last and things that matter in this hour. One thing that matters to you especially is hillsdale.edu is where you find the application to attend Hillsdale College. If you are a rising senior in high school or you're the parents of a rising senior and you want to go to have them go to the Lantern in the North, well, they got to get that application done. they got to get it in. It's very hard to get into Hillsdale over the last 10 years. It's uh, I think they're accepting only 17% of their applicants now, and it's falling because Thousands more students apply every single year for a single reason. It is the greatest liberal arts education in the United States, bar none. To learn all about Hillsdale, visit hillsdale.edu to find all of the previous Hillsdale Dialogues. We're getting close to 500 of them to use in your homeschooling, to just enjoy, to binge listen to. Head over to Hugh for Hillsdale.com or go to iTunes. Just simple Google Hillsdale Dialogue. Larry and Hugh Hewitt, and you'll find them all in order. You'll go back to the beginning. We began with the book of Job or Homer. I can't remember. It's been so long. But then get going. Right now we're in our series on Aristotle's ethics. This is part eight uh, of that series recorded by Dr. Arnn with 12 Hillsdale students. This is uh, the first segment of part eight. All of it can be binge viewed over at hillsdale.edu. But if you want to read, uh, just want to continue to listen along with us, stay tuned as we tune in now to part eight of the dialogue about Aristotle's ethics, Dr. Larry Arne teaching.
2: There are two chief intellectual virtues. Uh, they're distinguished because one of them knows about things that are shifting around all the time, and one of them knows about things that are eternal, constant. Once you know them, you know them. They don't change. So wisdom is the second thing, and the first thing is practical wisdom. And practical wisdom, Aristotle says, is very wrapped up in every choice we make because a choice is a combination of two things. It's a combination of what do you want? That's in the world of the doing, moral virtues. Do you want to do good? Do you want the beautiful, like on a battlefield? Do you want to do a beautiful thing? And although you are afraid, you can't be courageous unless you're afraid. Uh, you're prepared to do it and will do it. That's half the battle. And the other half is, what's going to be effective right here? And practical wisdom is skill at picking from all the circumstances what will be the best thing to do. What are the two kinds of virtues? Thinking and doing. Thinking and doing. And now we're at book six, and we're going to start... Thinking about thinking more than we'll be thinking about doing. Thinking happens, where does it happen? In the soul. Where in the soul?
3: The rational part of the soul.
2: What are the other parts?
3: The vegetative and the more emotive part. Appetitive. Yes.
2: Appetites. Stuff you want. What's the relationship between the uh, rational part and the vegetative part? There is none. Yeah, well, they're related in the sense that they're both part of the human being. But uh, they don't talk to each other. What about the appetitive part?
3: They do talk to each other. (laughs) And it should be, the appetitive should be governed by the reasoning part. Is that simply true?
2: Yeah,
0: Don? Well, and I think the point that Aristotle makes is that the appetitive is able to be governed by the, the rational part versus the uh, vegetative is not able to be governed by rational. And I think that able to be governed is a really important part there.
2: So you think that uh, the appetitive part in the right, rightly ordered soul should be a passive and the uh, reasoning part should be in control?
0: Yes. Yes.
2: Uh, I don't. <laughs> um, I think...
3: Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I don't know. It, not rule in the sense that we would tend to think of it as like control or mastery, but a kind of, I don't know, the way you're, it seems like there's more of, it's more of like a dialogue between the appetitive and the rational parts. As it, well, if we think of it like human friendship, it's that, you know, living for the sake of the good of the other. So with um, the... That's uh, how a
2: friendship is. Go ahead, no.
3: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, regardless of my example, um, the you know the pleasure, the motive is l- looking for the good of reason and reason um, for the other. That's one way you can think of it. Or if you think, like, he talks about political excel- excellence as ruling and being ruled in turn. I don't know. So there's an element of, mm-hmm. like, exchange so between them.
2: that's good. Why would the appetitive part rule? Natalie?
1: Um, well, we have been talking a lot about how virtue is sort of uh, hinges on what you want. Um, and so, in that sense, the appetitive um, kind of like tells us what we want or is the part that concerned with our desires, and then we use our reason um, in order
3: to like bring about uh, actions that will fulfill those desires. Gil. right and I think the r- rather than the mastery element, you're trying to bring both into this union um, towards the right thing. you want your desires and your reason to point to the same object of choice so you're trying to unify the appetitive and the rational so you're
2: indicating a cooperation then yes Mm -hmm. how do you know what's right is it partly because you want it you wouldn't in a enduring way want to eat dirt wouldn't be good for you I mean, little boys do it for a long time, but but that's because they're savages. uh, But uh, in other words, nature is talking to you through your wants. I can tell you I made a big choice in my mature life not so long ago where I was going to do something. And I said, well, I'm a man who's good at doing what his duty says. And meanwhile, I became aware that my entire soul was rebelling against the doing of the thing. It was telling me no, or to put it in common terms, I didn't want to. (laughs) So finally, I didn't, you know. And uh, that would have involved, you know, some change in my career, and I don't want one. uh, Because this, you know, where else do you get to do this? Uh, So anyway, that means that your desires are an important source of information, They're just not authoritative by themselves. And you know, everybody has bad desires. But probably most people mostly have good ones. And so one shouldn't think, as he follows this how-to manual, that he's gonna become a computer or something, and his rational part is going to be supreme, and the rest of it's not gonna matter. Because you know, it matters very much. Because just think, Part of an act of courage, the defining part of an act of courage, is love for the beautiful. You move toward it. It draws you. It calls you. You have an appetite for it. Remember, we said yesterday that uh, anything that seems to be directing its own motions is a thing with a soul, and the rational soul has this capacity to understand these common nouns, to uh, see what categories things fit into, and then questions of right and wrong derive from that. So now, what are the kinds of things we think about?
3: Uh, one's the things that are not capable of being otherwise, so necessary truths. And then there are the, the, the things that are capable of being otherwise, so circumstances that can change.
2: And so there's an intellectual virtue or virtues appropriate to each of those two kinds of things, changeable things and eternal things, right? And the intellectual virtues that have to do with the eternal things, uh, they come up later, but, uh, and there's several of them, and they're beautiful to study, really great. But the first one that comes up, and most of the first chapter on the intellectual virtues is about that first one, Which intellectual virtue is appropriate to things that change? Practical wisdom, right? Prudence. The names that I know for it, the Greek word is phronesis. Uh, The names that I know for it that are common in translation are practical wisdom, practical judgment, and prudence, which is like the Latin word for phronesis, the Greek word is prudentia. So this capacity... Involves things that are changing all the time. Does that say anything about what kind of knowledge you can have of those things? Well, no.
0: the, the knowledge is also changing.
1: And you actually only know them while you're looking at them. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back with part two of the eighth episode in our Hillsdale Dialogue edition of the Hillsdale Dialogue. Dr. Larry Arne did with 12 actual Hillsdale seniors Two years ago. If you want to binge view it, it's over at hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America's Hugh Hewitt. The Ethics Continues Aristotle's Ethics Being Taught by Dr. Larry Arn to 12 Hillsdale students. This is the thir- eighth segment in a 10 part series. Part two of the eighth segment, Dr. Arne leading his 12 Hillsdale seniors through what he thinks may be the most important book of anyone's life. Let's go back to part two of segment eight.
2: It can be a good guess that a thing that changes slowly or seldom is the same as it was when you looked at it an hour ago. But it's a guess because it's capable of changing and it might change a lot. This faculty of practical wisdom We better read this. On page 106, what we're about to find out is uh, what we're thinking about when we choose. And it's actually really great. And it's another aspect or illustration of why it's so difficult to choose. And what kind of skill in reasoning you need to choose well. So uh, chapter 5, the first paragraph, somebody read that.
0: Concerning practical judgment, the way we might get hold of it is by considering whom we speak of as people with practical judgment. And it seems then to belong to someone with practical judgment to be able to deliberate beautifully about things that are good and advantageous for himself, not in part such as the sort of things that are conducive to health or to strength, but the sort of things that are conducive to living well as a whole. A sign of this is that we also speak of people as having practical judgment concerning some particular thing when they calculate well with a view to some particular serious end, among those about which there is no art. And so also generally... What does
2: that mean? No art. It means practical judgment is not about making something.
0: Go ahead. And so also generally, someone who is apt at deliberating would be possessed of practical judgment... But, one, but no one deliberates about things that are incapable of being otherwise, nor about things he himself is not able to do. So if knowledge involves a demonstration of things, the sources of which are incapable of being otherwise, while there is no demonstration of these things we are speaking of, since all of them are capable of being otherwise. So
2: think of this. What are the two qualifications? One is practical judgment and also choices that, that it, it produces. Don't concern things that are eternal. And they do concern only things you can do. So it would be an exercise in uh, speculative reason to say, what would happen if I stopped the sun? Uh, And that's an interesting question. And physics deals with things like that. But another question is, let's figure out how to stop the sun. That would be stupid (laughs) because you can't do it, right? Or maybe you could do it. I mean, God knows the power of man is so very great right now. But I can name something that for sure can't change. No question about it, right? This is taller than this. And this is taller than this. Therefore, this must be taller than this. Those propositions being true, the final one can't change. So we could could try to figure out how we would make it so. Can't be done. This is the law of contradiction, it's simple logic, right? C.S. Lewis writes that uh, that is beyond even the power of God. Having made this kind of universe, uh, that can't be altered, right? Whereas, uh, who knows, maybe you could stop the sun, you know. put a space heater up there instead but uh, <laughs> that's kind of apt isn't it space heater
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> accidental um so you're thinking about things that you can do now let's pick an example i'm gonna go to law school did you say you're gonna go to law school anybody else here gonna go to law school yeah d gill's gonna go to the Marines and law school that's a determination. Now, figure out how you're going to do it. What factors are going to come into your mind?
1: Don't go anywhere, America. We will continue with part two of, actually part three of segment eight of Hillsdale's Dialogue on the Ethics, Dr. Arne teaching. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. The Bumps are so familiar for anyone who listens to the Hillsdale Dialogue every week, and I know that's millions of you. I hope you've also enrolled in Imprimus, the online, the speech digest that arrives in your mail, free from Hillsdale. You just have to go to hillsdale.edu and say you want to sign up for Imprimus, and it starts to come, and it never stops coming, and it's wonderful every single month. We return now to Part 8 of Doctor On series with Hillsdale seniors on Aristotle's ethics. This is the third segment of Part 8. Stay tuned to continue hearing the best of teaching about the oldest and most important of books.
2: Julie down there wants to have a high GPA. What does that take? She has to organize her whole life. It affects everything she eats, how much she sleeps, everything. It affects her friendships. It affects everything. It's a series of constant and incessant calculations about stuff it's shifting around all the time. Uh, the LSAT will be a big concern of yours until you take it. And then after that, it'll be a con- big concern if you don't make the score you want. But the minute you make the score you want, the LSAT will not be of the least interest to you, right? It is a thing to do, but not a thing to live by or for, right? So that's prudence. And almost everything we just listed is something that's changeable and predictable, particular, and constantly shifting around. And yet Aristotle says... Did you read to the end of that paragraph? Not yet. Go ahead.
0: And there is no deliberating about things that are by necessity. Then practical judgment would not be either knowledge or art, not knowledge because of thing done is capable of being otherwise, and not art, because action and making are different in kind. So,
2: knowledge, as, he's, as Aristotle uses the word, means knowing a thing that is fixed and can be relied on. Judgments are about shifting things. Go ahead, keep reading.
0: It remains, therefore, that it is a truth-disclosing, active condition involving reason that governs action. Concerned with what is good and bad for a human being. So stop being.
2: there. Read that last sentence again.
0: It remains, therefore, that it is a truth-disclosing... One,
2: truth-disclosing.
0: Two... Active condition... That
2: means cultivated to the place of stability, so you're used to it, and cultivated willfully and on purpose. And next...
0: Involving reason that governs action.
2: So and it's it, what it issues in is a... Command of action. Concerned with what is good and bad for a human being. Right? See those qualifications? That's a great Aristotle definition. Happiness, in short, is defined to be, after nine chapters in book one, an activity of the soul in accordance with virtue. The fuller definition includes, in a complete life. Now, it's an interesting thing. Almost all of your thinking, your typical mental weather is, what am I going to do next? We think about that all day, don't we? And he says that although everything is shifting around all the time, it's a truth disclosing condition. It finds the truth about what to do. So we should explore that. What constitutes that truth? Where does that come from? it's the course that was very good Gil did this and kate did this K- <laughs> kate was ready but no not quite <laughs> go ahead uh Do you guys want to play poker
3: <laughs> it's the the correspondence with how you see reality and how it actually is so you think it's this way and then that corresponds to how it actually is what's that what's what That a mug truly Because
2: what if I tilted it up and you saw it didn't have a bottom? Wouldn't be any good anymore. And it wouldn't be truly a cup. That means the true thing has the fullness of the thing. And if it's true that the beautiful is the highest form of the good, we here in liberal education pursuing the good and the true and the beautiful are busy pursuing a bunch of synonyms. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's interesting see because what he says is prudence issues in a command to action and then an action follows right and so the command can be true even though it is radically set in the circumstances in which the command is issued and those are changing and it probably won't be any good anymore uh, julie's command that I'm gonna organize my life in steady increments to make a really whacking big score on the LSAT, which she probably will because she's here, and I mean she's pretty good at that kind of thing, right? Then that's a command to action. And the day she's done with that test will be a glad day and that'll be over, right? And the and and the command won't be true anymore. When it's issued. If it's good, it's true. Which, by the way, is a universal proposition. If a thing is good, then it is true. Aristotle says, this alone is denied even to God to make what has been not to have been. So the past is, if you can find out what happened, is true and subject to knowledge, by the way. Whereas the present and the future are not subject to knowledge, and yet he's saying they can still be true. And that means the claim is in these circumstances. And, you know, a skilled person, in these circumstances, that choice was the good choice and the true choice and can even be, in great occasions, a beautiful choice. Einstein had an insight, of many. But uh, I, I'm interested in him because uh, he, he thought in pictures. And so he thought the uh, th- theory of relativity by imagining himself in a building going up in an elevator. He'd been in one. And imagining going up on and on and on and on. And he's thinking, what would you see below you? Now, whatever he figured out about that, To the extent that it was true, it was eternal. Whereas uh, Einstein took a job in the patent office. Was that a good judgment? Harder to say, and a different kind of judgment. And yet, both can be true, according to Aristotle. Now, people who are good at judgments, here's what they're like. They have a lot of success they tend to get their way. At the peak, they're really good at getting their way. If you study the career of Winston Churchill, there were people who outmaneuvered him and a couple, even consistency in politics. But it was just a bad mistake to get into a war with that guy because he's going to kill you. And that's what he did every time. See? Now, what was Hitler like? Hitler is... Uh, A street bomb, in about 1909, making ranting speeches around open fires in rubbish bins to other street bombs. In 1915, he became a soldier. He got a bronze star. He was gassed. It's now 1918, and the war is over. And he's a ranter, and a crazy man in a way, a racist. And... uh, He's still nobody. 1933, he became chancellor of Germany. 1936, Germany is the dominant force in Europe. 1941, they've conquered most of it, Western Europe. That's fast. Hitler was a lethal individual. And Churchill was a lethal individual. Very good at calculating means and ends, and understanding changing circumstances, both of them superb at it. What's the difference between them? I think Aristotle would say that Hitler was clever, but not prudent. Explain that. Distinguish those. That um, prudence pursues the good, while cleverness is just pursuing whatever it is
0: that you want.
2: So there's uh, three things that are worth distinguishing that are Practical judgment is the whole thing, the thing I claim Winston Churchill had. Juan has just brought up cleverness, which also involves very good at getting your way, very good at steering where you're going. And he adds a third one, which is astuteness. And astuteness is somebody who just looks at a situation and can understand its moving parts. And so those three things require uh, distinguishing, because once we do we'll see exactly how complex this practical judgment is, because it adds something that the other two don't have. If astuteness is just glancing at a situation, seeing what it means and how the motions are likely to unfold, cleverness adds what? Knowing which one will bring the the end you want. Or figuring out how to insert yourself you know, to get what you want, right? Because that's, remember, what an action is. An action changes things. You see a situation, if you insert yourself in it, you're trying to alter it. Now, you might be trying to alter it in a way of preserving it, which means you see a threat to it, and you're forestalling the threat. That, too, is a change, you see? So astuteness doesn't issue in an action. Cleverness does issue in action. And if it's really clever, there are lots of politicians in Britain. They just found Hitler really charming and our kind of guy, right? That was an element of his being good at getting in his way. He just charmed the socks off Mussolini. And before it was over, Mussolini would be with him. And, and, and when he got in the car and drove away, he still wasn't sure he wouldn't be shot on the way home. He was a very violent man. Like Churchill, lethal. What does Churchill add? The right end. That's right. He wants the right thing. Why would somebody like Winston Churchill be important to somebody like Aristotle? The things that Aristotle thought and wrote about, typically, are higher than the things Winston Churchill thought and wrote about. Why would Aristotle need Winston Churchill?
3: Because Churchill ultimately, is the man who can protect his ability to inquire into these things. On the next uh, page, 109, he's talking about Anaxagoras and Thales, who are, have this eminent reputation in Athens for being wise men. And yet, everybody knows they're practically useless. They have no knowledge of human affairs. And so, the wise man doesn't necessarily make for a good ruler. And that's where Churchill comes in. Was it Thales who fell in the well,
2: looking up at the heavens? And, uh, and, and see, here's an interesting point. One of the ways you would know a statesman is he would agree with the claim of Aristotle. In other words, he too thought what Aristotle was doing higher. But it's no doubt that the things that Winston Churchill did in his life are more urgent but there's also no doubt that except in their most sublime moments, they were not as high. Aristotle refers us to look at statesmen because that's where the authoritative choices are made, the life and death decisions that affect the most people. And also they involve the complication that it's a big whack and debate all the time. You know, even in a tyranny, people are debating silently if they not in public. And so... It's very demanding kind of thinking, and you take a lot of actions. It's it's the equivalent of the battlefield for courage. Statesmanship is the scene where practical judgment is demanded intensely all the time. And, And since the things are changing, it's a very intense activity. You gotta be doing it all the time. Somebody who's super good at that understands the claims of the eternal. That's why an old classic statement is, the statesman is the guardian of the wise, occurs, the argument occurs in the politics of Aristotle. And that means that uh, if Winston Churchill had been run in Athens, it wouldn't have killed Socrates. Also, what um, another difference between astuteness, as cleverness and prudence um, do you need the doing virtues for cleverness? Because he seems to say that you need them to have prudence. To develop prudence, you need to be developing the doing virtues. Um, I wonder if astuteness also requires that, or is, it, is that more just a... So a that's a very good point. And it's, it's, it, it might not even be that hard to see. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, was Hitler just? No. People can, have, can be really good at some kinds of things and possess... Some uh, virtues in abundance and not others. It's probable that Hitler was brave. He didn't have a war record like Churchill, you know, but he, he was apparently a pretty good soldier, right? So give him courage. Was he just? Was he moderate? He was uh, vain, stiff. He was not comfortable around people who were learned he he had some of the virtues but not in the right but not all of them and not in the right combination to keep him anything but disastrously directed because the doing virtues so much involve wanting the right thing and because the intellectual prudence so much involves keeping the proper ends in mind then they're very closely related right You need to be just to be a statesman. You need to be courageous. At least you have to have nerve, right? Uh, Moral courage, they call it. Uh, They say of David Lloyd George, the second prime minister and the most successful one in, in Britain in the First World War, that he lacked physical courage. And I don't know quite how they know that, but I've read three or four different historians say it, so there must be something to it. But on the other hand... You know, in a committee room, he was pretty tough, and he had a lot of nerve. So anyway, I think that's right. I think that, that prudence is the third thing. Practical judgment is the third thing that styled is requiring the sum of all the virtues, right? So there are four. There's um, magnanimity, justice, prudence, and then one more. And remember, it's thinking, but it's kind of, th- and it's mostly thinking about these circumstances right but if it ever gets distracted from the proper ends and becomes violative of those ends then it's dangerous if you're good at it the most dangerous people are the clever prudence is a facility to calculate circumstances and find and issue true command
1: Thanks to all of you for listening. Next week, Part 9 of the Hillsdale Dialogue on the Ethics.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.